Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. We'd like to invite all of Ray's listeners to join us on one of our free upcoming walks at birding hotspots throughout Rhode Island. Explore the smallest state in the Union with the biggest variety of birds by visiting our website, www.oceanstatebirdclub.org, for more information. You can also follow us on Facebook. Find out all we have to offer birders with Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 726. Well, coming May 11th, it's WMBD. No, it's not a new Talking Birds radio station affiliate. It's the initials of World Migratory Bird Day, dedicated to spreading the word about migratory birds and ways to conserve them, and featuring more than 700 related events all around the planet. And we can't help but be happy to know that the theme of this year's World Migratory Bird Day is Protect Birds, Be the Solution to Plastic Pollution. As the organizers point out, the accumulation of plastic and plastic pollution have become a worldwide epidemic and a primary threat to birds across the globe. Talking Birds listeners, you can find World Migratory Bird Day events near you and find out more about the big day, May 11th, at this web address, worldmigratorybirdday.org. That's worldmigratorybirdday.org. Meanwhile, this week's conservation salute also has to do with plastic. And the salute goes to the legislature and governor of the state of Maine, which has just become the first state in the nation to ban food containers made of expanded polystyrene foam, often referred to, if inaccurately, as styrofoam. The law signed this week by Governor Janet Mills will prohibit restaurants, caterers, coffee shops, and grocery stores from using those takeout plastic foam containers. As the governor pointed out in an interview with CNN, polystyrene cannot be recycled like a lot of other products. So while that cup of coffee may be finished, the styrofoam cup it was in is not. In fact, it will be around for decades to come and eventually will break down into particles, polluting our environment hurting our wildlife, and even detrimentally impacting our economy. The main law originally proposed by Montville Representative Stanley Ziegler also applies to plastic beverage stirrers. It will go into effect on the 1st of January, 2021. So way to go, State of Maine, for putting into place a plan to ban those nasty polystyrene foam takeout containers. Hey, do we have any festival music around here? I would say that sounds like festival music to me, and this is the month of bird festivals. May is a big, big month for festivals all around the country. In fact, there are so many, it would probably take the rest of the program here to list all of them. Uh, That's only a slight exaggeration. So we have a little uh, condensed list, just a sampling of some of the festivals going on in May around the country. Beginning on May 8th, 
the Ute Mountain Mesa Verde Birding Festival in Cortez, Colorado. Starting on May 9th, the Kachemak Bay Shorebird Festival in Homer, Alaska. Starting May 9th, the Horicon Marsh Bird Festival, Horicon, Wisconsin. Say hello to our friend Scott Bauman up there. Beginning May 10th, the Festival of the Birds at Presque Isle, Erie, Pennsylvania. And beginning on May 16th, two festivals. One is the famous Cape May Spring Festival, Cape May, New Jersey. And the other, beginning May 16th, the Great Salt Lake Bird Festival in Farmington, Utah. And here's one more. May 24th begins the L.L. Bean Maine Audubon Birding Festival in Freeport, Maine, featuring along with bird walks and talks and raptor displays and lots more, a live broadcast of our Talking Birds radio show on Sunday morning, May 26th. And we hereby invite all Talking Birds listeners who can get there to get there for our live broadcast. Admission is free. Again, that's Sunday morning, May 26th from 9.30 to 10 Eastern Time as part of the L.L. Bean Maine Audubon Birding Festival in beautiful Freeport, Maine. Well, here's a little contest preview. On next week's show, that would be 7.27 on May 12th live, we will finally announce details of our second annual Talking Birds Make Your Own Swag contest. Swell prizes included. Hear all about it on next week's Talking Birds show. And speaking of previews, attention viewers of the HBO series Divorce. I want a divorce. If you listen carefully to the first episode of season three, it could be one of the other episodes, we're not sure. You'll hear in the background of one of the scenes a little segment of one of our Talking Birds radio shows. Stay tuned for more details if, uh, if they'll give us some. <laughs> and that is the sound of our mystery bird. And here comes a preview of our mystery bird contest coming along just a little bit later in the show this morning. Our bird is a medium-sized dabbler with a large spoon-shaped bill. Males of the species have a green head, dark bill, white breast, a chestnut-colored patch on the sides, and yellow eyes. Females are a mottled light brown with a brownish-orange bill and dark eyes. Our bird, which breeds from Alaska and western Canada and winters mostly across the southern half of the U.S., forages in open water for aquatic vegetation and small crustaceans, insects, seeds, and fish. A little preview of our mystery bird there. We have a gorgeous set of prizes, including the Droll Yankees original iconic A6 classic tube bird feeder. Bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. Mystery bird contest coming along in just a little bit. On our Talking Birds blog this week, our senior producer, Debbie Bleacher, offers a story entitled My First Backyard Bird Count. Part 2, The Count. And she did that count while simultaneously sipping tea at her dining room table. Not easy. That's on this week's blog, edited by our own Debbie Bleacher and easily found at TalkingBirds.com. By the way, Debbie reports that she is also just enjoying a ruby-throated hummingbird and a rose-breasted grosbeak visiting her backyard. We've been fortunate for quite a number of weeks now to be able to thank new ambassadors for our show, each week here and today we're happy to say is no exception and we say thank you to Megan Hart in New Fairfield, Connecticut. She says I'm from Tennessee but I'm in Connecticut for the summer working for the Connecticut Breeding Bird 
atlas. She's seeing nesting behavior starting in some species, which is super exciting. Thank you so much, Megan. And we want to thank our first Talking Birds ambassador from Australia. And who better to express that thank you than Talking Birds' own Australia native, Freya McGregor. Hi, everyone. I've got a special shout-out to one of our new ambassadors, Jennifer Kirkby. Welcome to the Talking Birds family, Jennifer. Jennifer lives in Wallara, which is in Sydney, and I'm originally from Melbourne. And now there are two Australians helping Ray spread the word about birds of conservation. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! <laughs> I love the way she says Jennifer. Sounds like she's from Boston here almost. All right. Well, Talking Birds listeners, wherever you are, we hope you'll consider joining Jennifer and Megan by becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. Just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, we'll learn some things about gulls and the landfills they love when we talk with author Tim D. about his remarkable new book called Landfill, Notes on Gull Watching and Trash Picking in the Anthropocene. Plus, for everybody who needs any assistance in hearing bird sounds extra clearly, our man Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's famous Bird Watchers General Store will provide us some valuable information. And up next, a bird whose presence here at Eastern Massachusetts this week has made some birders pretty happy is today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. I love you. I love you. Why are we playing the little blue man to introduce today's featured feathered friend? Well, because we couldn't find a song called Little Blue Heron. The Little Blue Heron. It's a strikingly elegant, smallish heron, common in the southeast United States, although it does make its way up here into the northeast as well. The Little Blue Heron is the only heron species in which first-year birds and adults are dramatically different in color. First-year birds are pure white, adults are blue, and there appears to be a good reason for this. Another white-wading bird, the snowy egret, will tolerate the presence of white little blue herons more than it will blue little blue herons. So a young white little blue heron can catch more fish in the company of snowy egrets than when it feeds alone, and a white little blue heron can sort of hide in a big flock of white birds, thereby gaining some protection from predators. Description-wise, once it's obtained its grown-up plumage, the little blue heron has a slate blue body, a dark purplish head and neck, and its bill is mostly gray or blue with a black tip. And that bill is one good way to quickly distinguish the little blue from the similar reddish egret. When the little blue is part way between white and its adult blue color, it's kind of blotchy and carries the nickname Calico Bird. By the way, what's the difference between a heron and an egret? Well, not much, the experts tell us, except that the birds we call egrets tend to be white. They don't count the reddish egret. And the herons tend to be darker, like the little blue heron, except when it's white. All right, little blue, let's hear from you. Uh, thank you, that's uh, plenty. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend, the little blue heron. I love you. I love you. Welcome again to our show, number 726. Don't forget our Talking Birds website, TalkingBirds.com, and we hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram 
at Talking Birds. Tim D. worked for decades as a British Broadcasting Corporation radio producer and as a regular contributor to the book section of The Guardian. And he's on the phone with us right now from here in the U.S. out in Sausalito, California, to tell us about his newest book called Landfill, Notes on Gull Watching and Trash Picking in the Anthropocene. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. Ryan. Very nice to speak to you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure indeed. Landfill uh, would seem like an unusual title for a book about birds, but the subtitle offers a quick explanation and reference to a bird often called seagull, but maybe more associated with landfills or dumps, as we call them here. And you talk in the book about how many folks feel differently about gulls, Tim, when they see and hear them in different places. People tend to love the sound of gulls by the sea, but those same sounds provoke a yeah. very different response in an urban setting. What's about, what's the, is the second response just because we feel these birds should be at the seashore and not downtown? Yeah, I don't you think that's the case. I think they're coming more and more nearer to us, and I think we find it, uh, some of us at least, find it disconcerting. They're curiously large, uh, close up. I mean, I get a lot of people asking me where the gulls have actually got physically bigger. They haven't got physically bigger uh, in the last few years. They're actually just stepping closer to us in order to, 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 to make a living. Uh, and that's challenging, I think, for us. It's a, it's a, it's a classic story of, of modern nature. Uh, animals uh, pushed to the limits in their wild environment, um, being forced to make some accommodation with the human species. Uh, you know, uh, in, in the olden days, it was pigeons and rats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the gull, generally the gull family, especially in, in Europe, maybe not so much in the U.S., I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that, uh, are moving inland in a way that they, they haven't done before, partly because there's not so much for them to pick out the, on, on the sea. But I grew up knowing them as seagulls, as a young bird watcher mm-hmm. in the U.K., uh, but and they were then mostly birds related to the sea. They found their living there. They bred on the coastal mm-hmm. cliffs and so on. Uh, but in my later years, in the recent past, 20 years ago or so, I, I noticed that lots of my birdwatching friends were spending time on these awful squalid sites, rubbish dumps, trash heaps, landfill sites. And they were doing that because uh, the, the gulls had, had discovered those places because of human food waste that was piling into those sites and we're finding it much more easy to, to get their nutritional requirements mm-hmm. from old bits of our uh, discarded food than they had been previously able to do on the seashore. So it's, it's a movement that we've caused, and, and yet and, and, but somehow we also find rather problematic to consider. Well, we certainly have the same uh, reaction, I think, among people here in the U.S., kind of a love-hate relationship in general uh, with gulls. And you mentioned in, uh, in your book, Tim, of 1956, uh, the Clean Air Act in the UK, which stopped the burning of refuse in landfills, so the gull population kind of exploded as a result of that, right? That's right. I mean, previously we would, we, uh, we would London and other big cities have been suffering from famous smogs and things like that. Uh, the, the Clean Air Act was designed to stop that the, the burning of rubbish, uh, and then as a result of that, lots of all of the food waste from the UK went into open rubbish dumps. It wasn't buried or covered over. Uh, and the gulls discovered it. They moved ashore, having first of all come closer to us in, in, uh, in, through the 19th and early 20th century, uh, following sh- ships and trawlers and, and taking um, uh, fish waste and gutting um, spy catch and things like that from the, from the sea. They then, in the, in the UK at least, and I think here too, had some interesting following tractors, tractor deep plows 
uh, deep ploughing tractors in, in the 20th century gave turned over more insects and invertebrates uh, from the soil, and gold, some gold found some good value foodstuff there. Uh, but then more recently, again, this 56 uh, Clean Air Act in the UK delivered this absolute bonanza for the gold, and they, sure enough, found it pretty quickly, and their numbers built so much so that actually now the urban gold is is, a, is is doing better as a, as a breeding species and herring gulls, lesser blackback gulls, blackerty gulls, mm-hmm. the, the old famous common gulls in Britain uh, have actually done much better as urban birds living in urban environments, feeding on urban mm-hmm. uh, landfill sites than, than their cousins, the same species, but who are breeding still and finding it more difficult to breed where they used to be on the seashore. Sea, sea. Tim, I was going to ask you to read a little section of your book, but, you know, we have a little bit of a problem with our phone line here, and if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and read uh-huh. this, if I, if I may. Uh, not sure, as beautifully sure, yeah. as you would, but I will give it my best shot in the interest of clarity. It talks about the, your first glaucous gull. The first glaucous gull I saw was notionally more domesticated. It had a name, George. From the 1960s to the 1980s, it spent so many winters between Clay and Salthouse on the North Norfolk coast that people looked out for him and saluted as he passed. I saw him on three or four twitches to see other birds. On these weekend trips, I often slept a few cold hours on a wooden bench in the bench shelter at Clay. It was washed away in 2013 when the North Sea surged over the shingle. I remember waking up one time and from my thin sleeping bag seeing George lumber heavily over the field inland of the beach. A bed tick for me, but I was shivering in the dirty cold white of the bird like the stained ice at the back of a fridge chilled me further. There was no black at all on George, but his nicotine tone and urine spots gave him the air of a rough sleeper. White wingers, the birds call, the birders call the northern gulls, but they make me think of an old Soviet factory ship rusting out at sea and home to various Yuris and Leonids. It was said that the year after George gave up the ghost, a new first winter glaucous gull appeared at Clay. Boy George, they called him. <laughs> a beautiful passage among many. <laughs> so many beautifully written passages, all beautifully uh, written in your book. You also talk, uh, Tim, about many other bird species, but you always come back to the gulls. Uh, you asked at least one expert guller in the book if he loves gulls, and he says no, but what about you? A different answer? Yeah, I, 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 what I really love is, is the way they, they, they have found a way to live alongside us, uh, and they teach us all sorts of things in that way. They, they hold a mirror up to how we're behaving in, in the modern world, um, and I, uh, they, there is a kind of stark awkward beauty in them as well. I mean, they're heavy, big birds, smart birds, very intelligent birds. Mm-hmm. I love the way they've adapted to take on all sorts of difficult situations in, the, in their lives uh, that these force upon them in a way. And, and I like the way that they're keeping track with us. Um, I suspect that the goals are going to be more of our lives, uh, going to take a, a more substantial part in mm-hmm. place in our, in our cities and our towns uh, than they have done even now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that idea. Uh, they're also... 
I like the fact that people, not other people don't like them as well, I think. <laughs> and I feel sympathetic for them. <laughs> All right. Tim D. has watched birds for most of his life and has written about them for 20 years. He's also a regular contributor to the book section of The Guardian. His newest book is the wonderful one we've just talked briefly about, Landfill, Notes on Gull Watching and Trash Picking in the Anthropocene. Congratulations, Tim. Good luck with the book, and thanks for being with us. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Coming up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. Tanzania hosts more than a thousand bird species, and on safari with Nasera safaris, you'll see the birds and the big five. The lion, leopard, elephant, rhino, and cape buffalo. That's Nasera Safari's founder and guide, Joseph Dunguru. And Nasera Safaris provides more, says co-founder David Clapp. We offer customized safaris and mountain climbing adventures in Tanzania, Kenya, and Uganda, and gorilla trekking in both Uganda and Rwanda. Going on safari in Africa is an unforgettable experience, and there's no better way to do it than with Nasera Safaris. See their website for details, nasarasafaris.com, N-A-S-E-R-A, Nasera Safaris. Let's get right into our mystery bird contest. There's our mystery bird. And we urge you to call us as soon as you can uh, to tell us what that bird is or to take your guess. As always, no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. So we're determined to have a winner uh, each week in our show, and we pretty much usually always manage to do that. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Please call us as soon as you can with your answer or guess. Our bird is a medium-sized dabbler with a large spoon-shaped bill. Males of the species have a green head, dark bill, a white breast, a chestnut-colored patch on the sides, and yellow eyes. Females are a mottled light brown with a brownish-orange bill and dark eyes. Our bird, which breeds from Alaska and western Canada and winters mostly across the southern half of the U.S., forages in open water for aquatic vegetation and small crustaceans, insects, seeds, and fish. And by the way, we have a, a sort of a slightly doctored picture of our mystery bird with some of the, you know, things that would really give it away hidden on our Facebook page if you want to take a quick look at that. 781-837-4900 is the number. Our prize is the Droll Yankees original iconic A6 classic tube feeder featuring durable metal parts that squirrels can't chew and backed by a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. Bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. And speaking of bird sounds, we're going to talk about being able to hear them with our man Mike O'Connor. Uh, it's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. My name is Jack McDonald, and I am from Ocean Bluff, Marshfield, Massachusetts. I decided to become a Talking Birds ambassador because I have used the Talking Birds podcast as my avenue to stay informed about birding. And I find that listening to the live broadcast 
incredibly informative for me, and that I would like to share that as an ambassador to the general public. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, talkingbirds.com, click on the contact button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at talkingbirds.com. And thanks. If we're talking a little louder than usual, we just want to make sure that Mike can hear us down there at the Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod. Hello. Hello. Hello, Mike. Anybody there? Is there anybody there? <laughs> eh? Is that crank call? Yeah, yes, I can hear you. I can hear okay, you. Okay, you, you, you can. This is not a this is not a crank call, is it? T- Tim says it is not. No, we just <laughs> wanted to check with with him him on that. So yeah, the reason we're saying this is because you have some new product that you have purchased for yourself. This is yep. not in your store. This is just a thing you bought to help you what hear hear the birds. Hear the birds a little bit better. Cor- correct. It's not something I sell, so I'm kind of plugging for no reason. But this is I thought I read this in a in, in a birding magazine. Somebody else had, had discovered one of these, and I read. It. I said, "I got to try this." And basically, it's a device put out by Bose. They call them earphones. You know, when you look it up online, you, you're going to get you're going to get auto corrected right to headphones. But it's called earphones, and uh, it, it it's it's basically Bose company puts it out to help people hear conversations better. But this person used it for. Uh, for going for bird walks, mm-hmm. and and I decided I should try that because I go for bird walks now, and everybody's going, Mike, what's that bird? I don't hear a thing. You know, the mm-hmm. dawn chorus to me are uh, crows and morning doves because I can't hear the high pitches any longer. And so it's a little frustrating, and I'm not at the stage where I need a hearing aid for general conversation, but I, but I do miss the birds. So I decided to try out one of these. Now they're not cheap; they're like five hundred bucks. Mm. But I only I spent four ninety nine because I know a guy. Ah, uh, nice yeah, deal. see, that was a kind of a sweet deal. <laughs> it is. It is. It, you, you pop them in your in your ears like you would expect. And it's got a little band that goes around your neck, and you know instead of uh, instead of using hearing aids, so I don't look like an old geezer with hearing aids. I look like an old geezer with headphones. Yeah, cool they look old like geezer. Just, uh, yeah, they just look like hip headphones, and they connect to your smartphone. So it's so Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. And and wow. you can control the volume, you control the bass or the trouble. In my case, I crank up the trouble so I can hear the, the, the birds. And now it's just like the birds are back. Wow. I go for a walk every morning and I can hear the prairie warblers and I can hear the pine warblers and the chipping sparrows. For years I couldn't figure out which is which. Um, but it wasn't a problem lately because I couldn't hear either one. But now they're back again so I can hear them. And it's, 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 it's kind of fun and you can make an adjustments for... So you can hear from all directions, or if you're just facing one direction, you can adjust them so they only go where you're looking. It's a pretty directional, and I, I thought they were they were awesome. I would I would uh, people who have this kind of hearing loss should consider that. And I don't make any money, which is kind of sad. But other than that, it's a good thing to help you hear. Pretty cool. Next week, I'll talk to you about my invention. They call it the ear trumpet. It's uh, yeah. No, oh, that was the place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. No batteries. No recharging or anything. It's yeah. Awesome. Old school. Talk to you next week, Mike. Okay. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. All right, we're back to the uh, mystery bird contest trying to identify this mystery bird in the uh, limited time we have left. Uh, where are we going? I guess to our friend Charlie in Hanover, Massachusetts. First, good morning, Charlie. 
Hey, Ray, how you been? Haven't heard from you in a long time. Huh? You haven't heard from me. I haven't heard from you. That's I've been meaning to call you, Charlie. But anyway, thank you. Uh, thank you, Charlie. What What do you say the bird is? I'd like to guess a uh, green heron. A green heron. That's the uh, the French version of the of the bird. Oh, the green, green heron. No, I'm green sorry. Yeah, the green heron. No. Tim says yeah, that I'm is sorry. not correct. Incorrect. And if he says so, that's, uh, you know, that's what goes here. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> exactly. Let's go Bye-bye. to Kayla. She's in Newark, Delaware. Good morning, Kayla. Hi, how Hello. are you? Hi, good. Nice to hear from you, Kayla. Are you new to our show? Uh, I've been listening for a couple weeks now, but yeah, relatively new. Oh, well, welcome. What do you think our mystery bird is, Kayla? Is it the Northern Shoveler? Is it the Northern Shoveler? Yes, it is the Northern Shoveler. Yay. <laughs> Yay, nice job. The Northern Thank Shoveler. You. Also known as Spoonie, Hollywood, Bootlip, and Smiling Mallard. Some of the nicknames for that unusual-looking bird. Well, nice job, uh, Kayla. And if you will stay on the line, uh, Tim will take your information and make sure that you get all those those nice prizes, or at least those two nice prizes. Great. Thank right. you so much. Thank you, Kayla. Kayla, there in Newark. Del- no, I was going to say New Jersey, but no, it's Newark, Delaware. Thank you so much. The Northern Shoveler, our mystery bird. We saw one just near our Talking Birds uh, World Headquarters in uh, North Quincy, Massachusetts, uh, just last week. Hey, that is it for our show this morning. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor, and our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. We'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. We'd like to invite all of Ray's listeners to join us on one of our free upcoming walks at birding hotspots throughout Rhode Island. Explore the smallest state in the Union with the biggest variety of birds by visiting our website, www.oceanstatebirdclub.org, for more information. You can also follow us on Facebook, Ocean State Bird Club.